same time uh, i don't know no curse this lag um, so we are on zoom today we're trying to squeeze in a pod sesh and yes. we are just very busy Rhea and i are both still recovering from an excellent concert earlier this week it was so good and i'm gonna say i've been in such a show hole i've only ever used that for tv shows but now i'm in like a post-concert show hole yeah like have you been all over the subreddit watching videos I've been watching the videos. I've been on TikTok, seeing what he did after our concert, watching him like with Boy Genius, which everybody was freaking out about. He like dropped in on their show. But also I've just been like super depressed because I'm like, I've been looking forward to that for so long. <laughs> Should we tell them who we saw? Yeah, I think there's got to be at least a couple people in the audience who know who we're talking about. There's got to be some overlap. Yeah. Uh, we saw Hosier. Yeah. The Unreal on Earth tour. It was freaking phenomenal yeah it really was and this is your second time seeing him yeah i got to see him like eight years ago maybe he played the house of blues in boston not long after i had come home and yeah he was so so good but it's a small venue and like this venue could have fit like six or seven house of blues inside of it like (laughs) it was like a big outdoor venue it was so nice it was like such a magical vibe and I was telling Jamie Lynn I was like I don't think I've ever been in one place with so many English majors (laughs) like you could just tell yeah honestly everybody who's asked me I've been like it was the best concert experience I've ever had like it was was just so chill start to finish like we got there so easily like everything was it was just great like I'm not a big concert person because I it's very overwhelming, not in like an anxiety way, but like in a, I don't want to fuck fucking around with this. Um, I'm just like, this isn't worth it, No, <laughs> but this was definitely worth it. And it was just like super chill. It was, yeah, such a cool vibe. And like, I didn't get bumped into one time. I think I no. accidentally bumped into the guy next to me. Like nobody stepped on me, like all the normal concert things, being lost to like having to wait in a super long line to get a drink. Or to um, go to the bathroom. Like that didn't even yeah. happen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We went to go see Zach Brown years ago in this Georgia amphitheater. The venue was horrible. There was one bathroom that was accessible from our area and it was like a massive bathroom, but there was one long line and they didn't have like the people directing folks in and mm-hmm. out. And it took forever. I missed like four or five songs. And because it was on the other side of the wall, you couldn't hear everything. So it'd be like, what is he playing now? Whereas I could hear him clear as day when I had to take my pee break (laughs) partway through. I waited for the slow songs every inch of the bathroom. And um, I could still hear him playing. So that was cool. Yeah. Plus, you missed me crying all the way through Cherry Wine. So good for you. (laughs) But I was actually standing at the end of what I thought was our aisle at the beginning of Cherry Wine, but I knew it was like a, a meaningful song for so many people. So yeah. I was like, I'm not going to interrupt their moment. I'm going to, I was like, I'll wait till the next song. And I did so, record it. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. I only recorded like 20 seconds of work song, but that was mostly because I was like, this felt like spiritual. I just need to yeah. record that it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So sorry, we got very sidetracked from... <laughs> Barry, but hopefully if there's any Hosier fans out there, you appreciate that as much as we do. <laughs> yeah, we have one season of Barry left. Maybe our next podcast is like analyzing the shit out of Hosier. <laughs> I would actually be down for that. Yeah. <laughs> Horny on like, main. I mean, just like Hosier book club. And like you have to read through or I mean, the Cliff's Notes for me version of like all of the literary references and film references and music references yeah there's a lot there i have i have a very small vinyl collection but and so it's pretty much like there's like some random albums um like i have a copy of belladonna that i found when we were visiting Mm. family at a record store for seven dollars but my record collection basically consists of like old christmas albums stevie nicks Every Hosier album and every Lord Huron album. That's it. Heck yeah. Yeah. I only have two of the Hosier albums on vinyl. I haven't gotten Unreal on Earth yet because I was like, 
I've constantly been listening to it on Spotify. I know I'm going to buy it, but I'll put it on my Christmas list to make it easier for my family <laughs> to shop for me for Christmas. Yeah. I actually yeah. went a little crazy with that one because I was like, there's so many different versions of the vinyl, like different pressings, mm-hmm. like different colors. And I was like, which one do I want? Do I want this one from, you know, like all the different places? Um, and then I ended up just splurging and getting the one from his website. That was yeah, you, like you pre-ordered it too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did. That was a smart move. Yeah. Before all the little girlies got wise. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you too love Hosier, you should email us at mostevilguy at gmail.com and be like, Hosier. Yeah. Tell us what concert you went to. Okay. Shall we get started? Let's do it. All right. This episode is starting now. <laughs> <laughs> Both literally and figuratively. This was written by Alec Berg and Bill Hader and directed by Bill Hader. It is the finale of season three. So summing things up here. At the very beginning of the episode, we have Barry again in one of those like weird dreamlike hallucination states. Now, you know, from the last time that it happened, we recognize that these are all of the victims of his many, many years of murders. And he also sees Jean and Sally. So this is a dream sequence. He hasn't actually murdered them, but he wakes up in the hospital and he immediately escapes uh, and goes back to his place and finds out that his roommates, Nick and Jermaine, are in Tijuana. But Sally is there at his apartment and asks him (laughs) to um, basically take his plan uh, that he had for the Banshee exec and... It is, is that transferable? Can we just do that for Natalie? She's willing to go there for Natalie. So messed up. <laughs> All right. Meanwhile, May Dunn is questioning Fuchs in the interrogation room where we last saw him with Albert. And she's asking him about the Chechen pin, the one that Hank gave to Barry, and Barry threw in the trunk with Janice Moss. And she's like, we were in your prints. We know you're Monroe Fuchs. We found your tooth and gore in Pizarro's garage. Like, we know you're mixed up in all this shit. And Fuchs is, like, lawyering up, and they end up just booking him, which is hilarious because he chooses uh, that moment to be like, yeah, I'm the Raven. I think he realizes, <laughs> like, if he's incarcerated, he better be a badass, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not as tough as he wants to be. No. But you can kind of tell that Mae Dunn's, like, a little suspicious, and she's like, hey, where's uh, Albert? And Chief Krause, who has one of the only two funny moments in this entire episode, is like, well, I haven't seen him since he like went left out of here and took his gun. I'm sure he's just seeing the sights. <laughs> That's one of my favorite jokes in the series. <laughs> so good. So anyway, Jim Moss calls Jean and is like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you got to come to my house. And... Gene, like, can't seem to resist him. So Jim's definitely got that, like, interrogation mojo working. And he leads Gene into, I wrote, the nopest garage ever. (laughs) (laughs) Like, nope. As soon as he's like, there's something I've got to show you in the garage, I'd be like, nah. Um, (laughs) There's never in the history of anything been something worth me going in someone's garage to see it. (laughs) No, and also, there's nothing else in his garage. Does he not use his garage for anything or did he clean everything out of it just to interrogate gene i have questions (laughs) (laughs) gene ends up breaking down and then meanwhile like we see barry at the apartment with sally and he's trying to tell her like sally like you don't want to do this i know where i'm going i don't want you to go there and while he's telling her this one of the guys from the taylor gang shows up and starts attacking barry and sally And this is pretty brutal, and we will get into it, but it ends up with Sally killing him and Barry basically telling her, like, you didn't do this, I did this. Um, Now go home, you were never here. Yeah, just a little little light brainwashing. I mean, if that happened, though, like, wash my brain, please. Yeah, that's true. It was pretty gruesome. We'll have to unpack that. When we last left Hank, he was in a Bolivian cell. He's still there. We come back to him as he's, like, listening to this just horrendous, like, chomping and growling and 
scary monster noises. In the next cell, the Bolivians have taken a panther and just sicked it on Akmal and Yandar. And obviously the panther kills them. Like, they're not going to fight <laughs> against a panther. It starts breaking down the wall. And by the way, this... Oh, we can put a pin in this, but it felt very, like, dreamlike to me. I was like, is mm-hmm. this really happening? Yeah. Is this happening? Yep. But Hank manages to escape. He takes out one of the henchmen. He disarms him, grabs his gun, takes out the panther, and then heads into the house to find Cristobal. And when he does, Cristobal is, like, in a chair, hooked up to, like, electrodes and stuff like that. And basically, Elena is doing electroshock aversion therapy on him using a male stripper so hank kills elena just holds cristobal and is clearly like wow what even happens now totally traumatized it's kind of rough that he killed the dancer too because what if she was just forcing that guy to do it too you know what i mean i guess he was just like let's just kill everybody but Uh, to me it was like he snapped we'll definitely talk about that too uh so we next see barry as he is burying the taylor gang guy I believe in the credits his name is Shane Taylor, but we never actually hear anybody say his name. But he's got him in like a, a I must have Ziploc bag, sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of those big old Ziploc bags. I mean, well, now I'm thinking like, could you vacuum seal a body in one of the, never mind. Okay. Anyway. Would it help? Would you just be like sous eating them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting gruesome here. Okay. <laughs> so he's got him in a sleeping bag and he's burying him in under his like apocalyptic tree. <laughs> and Albert shows up. And how Albert knows where he is, I don't know. But Albert confronts Barry and he's screaming at him to tell him why he killed Chris. Like, why Chris? Like, Chris looked up to him. Chris was innocent, etc. And Barry just like freaks the fuck out. Like, loses it. Albert's like basically giving him a second chance and he's like you this has all got to stop it's got to stop starting now Barry comes away from that is weirdly like emotionally rebounding kind of I guess he's still pretty distraught he wants to talk to Sally and is telling her you know things are going to be okay and he wants to them to abscond together but she is already at the airport and we see her board a plane to Joplin just after that, Barry gets a phone call from Jim, who's like, we're going to talk, you know, Jim style. Barry calls Gene, who gives them like kind of a tip that Jim is trying to ruin their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to stop him. So Barry shows up and is like, uh, uh, sees Gene that is armed, takes the gun away from him and is like, you're not going to ruin your life. Like, he's not going to let him do, you know, the murder he thinks he's going to do. Turns out it is a trap. Barry it's a goes into Jim's <laughs> it's a trap. Barry goes into the house and is fully prepared to schwack Jim. And then just an improbable number of police officers <laughs> descend Everybody upon him. was bored. They were like, some shit's <laughs> yeah. gonna go down? Cool. They were calling like Anaheim, like uh-huh. <laughs> Palmdale, come on over here. We've got a <laughs> yeah, a serial hitman murderer guy. Yep. So as he's being like led away by the police. Barry sees Gene and realizes that the whole thing was a setup and Gene has betrayed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gene and Jim have this like moment of like, oh, you know, finally justice for Janice. And as the episode ends, Gene is leaving the house and Jim just stares into the distance. It was actually a really nice way to end the episode. It was. All right, let's start with um, Sally. Yes. Okay. So, wow. Big arc for her. Yeah. Baby's first murder. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, yeah. Let's start with the fact that, you know, rewinding to a couple episodes when Barry ago when Barry was like, hey, so I can totally just like go to Diane's house and like take pictures of her when she's sleeping and like make her furniture tiny or whatever. (laughs) Sally was like, you've got to get the fuck out of here. But now, now that Natalie has her own show, and now that Sally has been exposed on the internet as a horrible monster, she's like, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, she's, like, fully committing to it now. She's like, well, everybody knows I'm an asshole, so. Yeah, I feel like this is Sally's breaking point. She's 
inviting in the darkness. I think the thing that's so interesting to me is that she doesn't know what darkness she's inviting in. Like she's inviting in the darkness she perceives in Barry, but doesn't actually know what's there. Yeah. And it's very arm's length because she's like, now I do want Natalie to be freaked out. I want something bad to happen to her, but she doesn't want to do it. She's just willing to like point Barry at her. And the hilarious, it's not even funny, haha, but like the the wild thing is, remember in season, was it season one when they're doing Macbeth? Yeah, that's like the Macbeth showcase. Mm-hmm. And literally she is, in her microcosm of her world, she is Lady Macbething him into taking out the king. Oh, yeah. Huh. And she's saying that because she's not the one that did it, it's okay. Yeah. Because... When that immediately, that whole situation right there immediately goes sour and she ends up killing Shane Taylor, like, that's too much for her. She is so, like, fucking freaked out. (sighs) Emmy, an Emmy for Sarah Goldberg, for real. Yeah, what a, like, wild performance. That whole sequence where... So Barry's, like, taken out of the equation, and Sally's, like, left to fend for herself. And first of all, I was yelling at the TV because I was like, you were in an abusive relationship, and you didn't learn any tactics after that. She was doing everything wrong. Everything wrong. (laughs) You know, if you take rape assault defense, they teach you, like, five ways to get out of different (laughs) chokeholds. And she knew none of them. (laughs) She wasn't doing anything to his eyes or his throat. Like, she wasn't kicking him in the balls. Like, she was just losing (laughs) all across the board. Sorry, I don't mean to, like, criticize Sally in her moment. But, like, she learned nothing from that experience. But her stabbing him was so fucking great. Like, when he was like, ow, you hit me in my eye. What would you do to my eye? Like, he is completely unaware. Oh, he's in shock, like. When he pulls out his phone and he actually sees the knife in his neck. Uh, yeah. So there is a, um, What's again, I'm not like. gauge shit. Yeah, like, I'm not super into violence in movies. And I appreciate when violence is done in a way that is thoughtful. What am I trying to say? Where it gets the point of violence across. You're supposed to be disgusted by it. You're not supposed to be like, wow, that was cool. Like, you're supposed to be like, oh, my God, ow. Oh, and, like, imagine it happening to yourself, Mm -hmm. even if it's happening to a villain, you know? And so that one reminded me of, like, there's a couple of scenes in, I think I've even talked about this in an earlier episode. In uh, Pan's Labyrinth, there's, like, a scene where, like, someone slices someone in the cheek. And, like, I had never seen that kind of violence in a movie at that time. Apparently, they've done in other ones, but... And that's stuck with me. That's stuck in my brain because it was so unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. So him, like, taking the time to just kind of figure out what's going on with his eye. And, like, obviously also she, like, went through his brain. So. Yeah. But then her. Not coming back from that. (laughs) Right. And then her realizing, like, well, not even really realizing. I think she was really just caught up in the adrenaline of the moment, too. Like, and just going after him with the baseball bat. And, like, finishing him off. I think that was all, like, very emotional for her. Like, just, she was just having a reaction to, like, someone trying to kill her. Yeah, and it was very reasonably self-defense. You know what I mean? I don't know about all, like, the prolonged beating, but also she needs to make sure he's neutralized and, like, no one else is home. I so, mean, like, she stabbed him in the neck and he was still, like, okay. He he still could have hurt her after that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, th- at that point, if she had called the police... And had, like, reported herself, which obviously, like, Barry is not going to let her do that. Yeah. But if she had, like, called the police and had them come in and I was, like, established as being, like, self-defense, maybe she wouldn't have had legal repercussions. Like, she would have had to go to, like, jail for it. But, yeah, like, she, there was it, was, it was self-defense, you know? Yeah. And, not, and not that that wouldn't be traumatizing and not that that wouldn't stick with you and haunt you. But you have an opportunity at that point to do the right thing. What do you make of the fact that Barry at that point is like, well, and we'll come back to this, but Barry at that point is like, I didn't do this or you didn't do this. I did this. Like, get out of here. You weren't here. What do you make of the fact that like the next time we see Sally, she's at the airport? Good question. (laughs) I mean, she doesn't tell him. She doesn't tell him where she is. There was a whole controversy. Uh, Did you watch this when it was on 
uh, originally? I did, and I remember yeah. the whole, like, what did she say? But yeah. I watch everything with captions, so. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, what was the controversy? It was between, like, I love you and I guess so, or something like that. Oh, I think people thought it said, so she says, I love you too, but the way she mumbles it, people were thinking she said, like, oh, you do. Yes, that was mm -hmm. it. It was, oh, you do versus mm -hmm. love you too. Yeah, but yeah. just watch it with captions, people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so there was um, that whole thing but like she doesn't he's like i'm gonna come get you and she she doesn't tell him like she's leaving it seemed to me like she was well, one part like in shock and also like disturbed maybe by the way barry approached it in that like if he was somebody who was not comfortable killing someone why would he be like it's okay i did this instead of like it's fine. You're safe now. Let's call the cops. That whole thing. If he's not already a murderer. I don't know that her head would have been in that space, but. I don't know. I mean, first of all, she had the wherewithal to like buy herself a plane ticket and pack her shit. So there's that. I'm not saying she's I not I can't in even shock. pack on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not saying she's not in shock, but like she, yeah. some faculties are working. But I don't know. I just think it's weird that. So if I were in that situation and, like, I had to, like, murder someone who was trying to kill me, and then if, like, my husband was right there and he's like, I did this, I did this, I would just think he was, like, trying to spare me the consequences of it. I, I wouldn't think, like, I guess I wouldn't think deeper than that in that moment. But her immediate reaction was to, like, get the fuck out of there and not tell Barry where she was going. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't tell if she's supposed to be putting the pieces together about him and, like, his, like, you know. I don't know. think so. I think, like, partially she's in shock and partially she's disturbed by this whole, like, I don't know. Like, not that you imagine. I mean, maybe you specifically imagine, like, what it would be like if you had to kill someone in self-defense and, like, what would happen after that. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, you don't, like, think about that. So you have, like, a game plan for it. I know. I do think she's just sort of operating on autopilot, but I think she also is just like, get me the fuck out of here. Yeah. She's just telling Barry whatever he wants to hear, but she's also getting on a plane to get away. Yeah, she's like, it's fight or flight, and she fought her way through, and now she's fleeing, and it's just like... She's literally flying. <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> fleeing Literally catching flying. a flight. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she was like, well, I did the fight part, so fight yep. check, flight. <laughs> <laughs> um what would you do in that scenario oh who I knows i mean who knows you don't know like in an ideal world though like if you're if you've got to choose a game plan like armchair quarterbacking it what are you doing i don't know i know enough to know i wouldn't know what i would do i think i think a big <laughs> this is i'm gonna get on a tiny soapbox here but i think a big <laughs> problem in the world today this has probably always existed but I think a big problem is people being like, well, I know what I would do in that situation. And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. You actually don't know. <laughs> you might know we what criticize, you would want to do. Right. We criticize so many other people for, like, what they do in the moment or what happens. And it's like, you don't know what you would do. Yeah. You haven't been tested. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not a coward. I'd never, I've just never been tested. I'd like to think that if I was, I would pass. <laughs> exactly. I look at others and think they're before the grace go I. <laughs> might be a coward. I'm afraid of what I might find out. Um, the poetry of the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. <laughs> that is a really good song, though. And it's it was on the Clueless soundtrack, right? Okay, so Where Did You Go was on the Clueless soundtrack. Oh, okay. And um, I'm remembering it wrong. Someday. Someday, I okay. Someday. So that is basically where we leave Sally. Man, though, the intensity of that moment where Barry's, like, holding her face in his hands. And we're just, like, looking at her. And she's got, like, Shane's blood on her, and she's, like, not even hearing him. It's just so good. It's so good. I don't even yeah. know how you, like, get yourself to that place. She is so, I don't know if she's actually fearless, but, like, her acting is so fearless. You know what I mean? Like, it's just going to get better and crazier next season, but, like, she just, she needs to be winning all the awards. I, I don't know. know. Has she won anything for this yet? I don't think so. Yeah. Although, to yeah, be honest, I underrated. don't pay a lot of attention to that stuff, so. Yeah. 
but she definitely deserves some accolades for this. Like, it's crazy. She's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I wanted to say one thing about Shane. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, you're like, he's named Shane, but like, we don't ever hear that. Yeah. And when you said that I had like a little light bulb, like remembering moment um, from one of my uh, instructors, like my first ever screenwriting instructor at UCLA Extension said that she thought it was just like a nice thing to give those characters names so that when they have their IMDb is not just like, like biker guy yeah. number three. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so nice. So now I try and name all of the characters in my screenplay, even if they're only on there for like a line or something. Oh, maybe that's what they were doing because like he didn't need a first name, but they gave him yeah. one. Yeah. And every time I've gone to look up like a henchman or something, at least in like the core uh, Bolivian and core Chechen gangs, they have names. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a guy that's killed like in the pilot and like he has a name. So that's kind of cool. Okay. Speaking of, let's go to Hank next. So we come back to Hank <sighs> and he's still imprisoned. He's chained to a radiator in this big empty room. And he's talking kind of with Yondar and Akmal. And they're like, hey, we're going to get out of here. And then I guess at that moment, they choose to bring in a panther. So I'm going to tell you, I did not know this was supposed to be a panther until I was looking up this episode. I thought it was a tiger. And so, like, my husband and I were watching it, and I was like, how did they get a tiger? But then when I looked it up, it was like a panther, and I was like, a panther? Like, the panther army? (laughs) I also didn't pick up which big cat it was. And honestly, I don't even remember. I, the first time I watched this episode, I thought it sounded like, like a supernatural monster. Like, I didn't think it was happening yeah. because well, it sounded so. Yeah. Also, the way this is shot. So we're just in the room with Hank. And like. And we're looking at like a cinder block wall. Yeah. And we're hearing. I love how the camera pans as we're hearing the noise kind of move. And then, like, the dust falls off the wall when someone hits it. Like, it's great. I love it. But, like you were saying, it does lend that air of, like, unreality to it. So you're like, is Hank just losing his mind? Like, is he... The first time I watched this, I was like, okay, is he hallucinating that they're being attacked by an animal, but really, like, just bad stuff is happening to them? And, like, this is his brain sort of doing that? Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. I thought it was one of those, like, something awful is happening, but he's either, like, drugged or he is, like, passing out or they haven't yeah. given him any water. And I I was shocked when it turned out to be what it sounded like. Yeah. You know? I know. And then even, so from, like, a, sh- a making a show standpoint, it was genius because you don't have to show a panther. <laughs> which is either going to be, like, you've got to wrangle a panther somehow <laughs> And also do some CGI or just do CGI, which is going to look terrible. So they didn't have to, like, show a panther and they didn't have to show, like, any, like, gory bodies or anything. They they basically ratcheted up the fear through, like, sounds, the camera movements, Hank's reactions, the blood coming under the wall, and then, like, someone ralphing outside, like, right under the door. Like, I don't, I don't know why I needed to be right there, but. I honestly, I think it's so much scarier that way because like there are a few scary like creature features, you know what I mean? Like this is like something out of a horror movie, basically a panther eats two guys, right? But there are so few creature features where the creatures are convincing enough that when you see the action happening, you're like, this is still scary. Usually it becomes a little less scary when you see it. I thought it was such a smart way of doing it. Like you, you explained like perfectly you're in, you know, Hank's POV and you're like, Seeing his fear and seeing his, you know, looking back and forth, doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. It's so much scarier than if you see the panther, like, ripping the flesh off of the two of them. And cheaper. You're Absolutely. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's great all the way around. Love it. There's a, a scene in um, in Gerald's game where a dog is eating flesh off of a character. And it took me out. I Otherwise, it was an okay movie. Like, pretty good. I love Mike Flanagan. So, like, he can do no wrong to me. But... That was a thing that took me out of the scene because I found myself thinking about the logistics of how they filmed that and like what it was made of. Mm. And it was a real dog. It obviously wasn't a real person getting their flesh eaten. 
And also it was gross enough that for a while I felt like, oh, that's gross and not like fear. It was disgust and not oh. fear that I was feeling. Yeah. You were thinking yeah. about all those people that die and then like their pets eat them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Hank manages to get away. He like powers through ripping his handcuff chain, which I'm like, couldn't you have done that like three days ago then? <laughs> but whatever. I won't judge. And like disarms a guard that comes in and... This is so surreal to me. So when he walks out in the hall and starts coming down the hall, you can see, like, the silhouette of this dancer, like, gyrating in the window down the hall. Yeah, it's wild. You're like, what am I in some, like, weird Italian film from the 70s? Like, what is happening? Who's giving giallo vibes? You're right. (laughs) And so he goes to the end of the hall and, like, sees this fucking nightmare that's happening this like shock the gay away shit like it's so weird to me I I said to my husband I was like does she really like need him to want her like they could just be married like I don't understand what's happening here it's better for you to just murder him you know what I mean like don't murder him I don't want you to but like what you're doing is worse than murder also she's not trained to do this so she's just like finger on the buttoning yeah she's just like finger on the buttoning him and i'm like lady no that's not how electroshock therapy works (laughs) no and like but i would imagine she has considerable means and she could if she wanted to do this in a way that quote unquote worked yeah and still completely psychologically damaged him right but didn't like turn his brain into jello Right. Then. <laughs> like, I know. I'm so worried because this is the last we see of Hank and Cristobal. And I'm like, yep. oh, I don't know if his brain's okay. I, I have to say, the first time I watched this, I wasn't even sure that everything we saw happen had happened. Yeah. I was like, is there going to be some big reveal that's like... It's in a snow globe. Know, yeah. Who it's knows? In a, like, yeah. <laughs> and it was all a dream. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. It was wild. And then, yeah. So Hank, you know, takes out Elena... And the dancer, which, again, I'm like, he might have been innocent in all of this. But I guess, like, shoot first and don't ask questions. But, yeah. I, I'm i sad that he shot the dancer. And also, I think it was a smart choice character-wise. Because it shows how dark Hank is willing to go. But um, Hank was already a Chechen mobster. We can't pretend like he hasn't um, killed anybody before. Has he? Has? Oh. His prison tattoos tell us he has. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah. But the way that we kind of leave that scene and Hank's face, Hank just sort of is like, like, he doesn't know how to pick up the pieces. He doesn't know where things are going from here. And it's so sad and also sweet, though. He's just, like, holding him. And you're just like, oh, my God, no, he really loves him. Like, you you knew that they, like, you know, were in love. But, no, he, like, loves, like, ride or die loves, loves him. And you see Cristobal respond. Like, at first when they're hugging, he's just kind of, like, there. But then he does, like, close his eyes and sort of relax a little bit. So you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It reminded me of Buffy when Glory, like, turns Tara's brain into mush. (laughs) (laughs) And Willow has to just basically, like, lead her around and, like, feed her and stuff. It's going to be like that. (laughs) I've gotten to that point yet oh oops (laughs) no no I don't you know I don't mind spoilers I'm I'm slowly slowly working my way through Buffy I seem like somebody who would have watched Buffy in high school but I did not I didn't watch it until I was like in my mid-30s so I came to it late but I've I also like when I came to it like bought all of the DVD sets and like have watched it 50 million times and made everyone that I've ever dated watch it too so (laughs) yeah So, like, yeah. okay, I, I think one of the things that stopped me from watching for so long was David Boreanaz. Oh, yeah, he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but he's only in, I mean, he's only there for, like, the first three seasons. So, and then they spun him off and gave him his own show, which also sucks. Yeah, I haven't watched that. Okay, so we've talked about Sally. We've talked about Hank. Let's talk about... Gene. Hmm. So, really, when we think about the core of this show, I always think of it as being Barry, Sally, and Gene. 
Yeah. Because those are like the three characters that we follow the most. I'd say like stepping out from that, then we've got like Hank and Fuchs. Because we also do follow them. But like our sort of emotional core of the show, I think, is these three. So we see Gene for the first time. He's with Annie and um, his agent Tom. And they're with that guy that they met at the rap party for Annie's for Annie's masterclass thing with Gene. Yeah. And they're talking, you know, they're spitballing ideas about like filming a play that they'll then like show in theaters. So it's kind of like that. Um, what's that like service that does that? It's like Broadway oh, um, something something. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Yeah. But yeah, I know you're talking about. So it's that kind of thing where like they're going to film it, but they'll show it in theaters and like it's a great opportunity. And Jean's like, I think we should do Annie's play. And this is like the only other joke in this episode. And he's like, oh, you wrote a play? What's it called? <laughs> and she says, Chrome Fuck Number Nine. And she's like, it was the 70s. And I'm like, yep, that makes sense. But during this exchange, Jim Moss calls Jean. And Jean, much like Barry, when Barry gets the call later, is like, no, I can't come over right now. Like, And... We see, like, some of Jim's tactics because Jim, like, mm -hmm. does not take no for an answer. And he's not asking you a question. He's telling you. He's like, no, you're going to come over. It's 17 minutes with traffic. Like, I'm like, oh, my God. He's just, it's so wild. So Gene goes over to see him. And this is where it's like, you know, don't go with a hippie to a second location, except the <laughs> second location is his garage. Which is very scary. Like I, like a meat hook should be hanging from the ceiling. And, you know, basically Jim breaks him down. And I thought this was really interesting. So Jim breaks him down using this like repetition, which is something mm -hmm. we've seen on this show before with the I love you exercise from season Ooh. one, where it's just that kind of like repetition is sort of breaking down um, the person and like we see it here and even when barry like forces gene to tell him he loves him and repeat it oh my god i forgot about that yeah so here we are we're doing the repetition again and it's like did you love my daughter did barry love my daughter like it's always this like repetition concerning like love oh my god yeah you're blowing my mind it's really weird right yeah wow. so Finally, like, that breaks Gene down because he just sort of, like, goes through these building blocks. Like, you love my daughter. Did Barry love my daughter? Do you love Barry? Why are you protecting Barry? And we see Gene break down, but that's kind of, like, where we leave it. We don't know what happens between the two from there. And we don't hear from Gene again until he calls Barry or till Barry calls him. So Jim calls Barry when he's in the car and is like, you need to come over to my house. And Barry's like... It's so funny because Barry is fairly weak-willed, but, like, he knows enough to avoid the situation. So he's yeah. like, uh, I got to call you back, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. So then he calls Gene immediately. So I feel like Gene and Jim must have knew that Barry was going to turn to Gene because Jim even says, like, I've been talking to Gene and you need to come over here. And talk to me about my daughter. And Barry's like, well, I'll call you back. So then he calls Gene. And, you know, Gene kind of gives him the impression that, like, he's going to do something rash. And I'll tell you, like, when I first saw the gun sitting next to him, my thought was, because we, we've seen Gene with a gun before. And right. he was being super dramatic. And he was talking about killing himself. So at first I thought that was where that was going to go. Because he's like, oh, yes, he's going to ruin same. me. Okay. So I'm not sure how Barry knows where Jim lives. I don't know if Gene tells him or Barry already knew, but Barry gets there and Gene's got his ancient gun. <laughs> I think it's still the same gun. It's the only gun I the know. The one Rip Torn gave him? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he takes he takes the gun from Gene and he's like, What I just love this like paternalistic way that he talks to Gene. Where he's like, what are you doing? You have a fucking gun. You know, it's just like, it's, yeah, he's like yelling at his old dad. Like, what are you doing? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, he takes the gun from Gene and is like, what are you going to do? You're just going to go in there and kill him? Like, this is ridiculous. And, you know, you can kind of see Barry, like, decide. But what's interesting to me watching this a second time and knowing that Gene is setting Barry up, you know, because the first time you watch through, you don't know that. But watching it and knowing that he's setting Barry up, you kind of pay attention a little more to what he's saying. And he's really like laying on like, he knows, he knows, and he's going to ruin us. Like he's really driving Barry to do something here. Yep. Which is kind of great. I mean, like normally I wouldn't be like, you know, I'd be like "Mm, entrapment. But after all the shit Barry's put him through, I'm like, yeah, that's (laughs) fine. Just give him a little push. I really love like him going into the house and, you know, seeing Jim kind of come through and like get a drink at the bar. Jim seems very cool and very confident. I think this scene really works just because of how that room is set up with the glass outside. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't have that like panorama to the outside, I don't know how this scene would have worked as well. But yeah. And then like, Literally, like you said, literally every cop (laughs) shows up, (laughs) the whole SWAT team. And yeah, that, that look of betrayal when they perp walk him past Gene. Oh my God. When he sees Gene and just the confidence in Gene's face that like, I got you motherfucker look on his face. He -hmm. doesn't have to say anything. Yep. It's so great. I'm so happy for Gene this episode. Just because, like, when Jim Moss reached out to him the first time, and I was kind of like, why aren't you telling him? Like, why won't you tell him? Um, And we talked about that. There could be, you know, Gene could be worried about the fact that he took money from Barry. But, yeah, it was nice to see that Gene, you know, did, like, break down and tell Jim and work with Jim and set this up. Even if it was not at all his choice. (laughs) But still. He got there eventually. Yeah. I can't remember. So when Barry walks in to the house, Jim's back is turned, right? Like he is at the bar making himself a drink. He knows Barry's there, but does not turn around. I think that Barry doesn't think that he knows he's there. But when we enter the house with Barry's POV, Jim is actually walking through the house. So conceivably Jim like knows he's there in that moment. Jim definitely knows he's coming, but yeah, Barry doesn't know that Jim knows. It's pretty great. Very satisfying. And also as a series or a season ender, like what, what, what's going to happen? Yeah. You don't expect that because Mm -hmm. you just think like Barry's going to keep getting away with it forever. You know? Even from the way they set that up where, like, Jim's back is turned. Like, Barry thinks he's getting away with it. He thinks, like you said, he doesn't know that Jim knows he's there. It's a clean shot just across the room. Like, he's feet away. Yeah, but little things bug me. Like, so he takes Gene's gun and, like, that's what he is going to kill Jim with. But, like, first of all, Barry always has a gun on him. So why would he use... Yeah, so why would he use Gene's ancient, like, Lassiter to do this and also like they were really rolling the dice with that because we didn't see Barry check to make sure the gun was loaded which I can't imagine Gene would have given him a loaded gun but yeah what if he did and was just like oh never mind I've got a gun in my back pocket it would be unsurprising if he pulled the trigger and like a little flag came out that said pow (laughs) I actually couldn't remember in the moment when he's standing there holding the gun on Jim and realizing all these cops are around I was like does he try to shoot himself I couldn't remember I thought he did I don't think so no he didn't but like yeah I was like wait how does this play out does he try to shoot himself and there's nothing in the gun but no he didn't which I think is interesting I mean in that moment when he's caught he presumes he has a loaded weapon but he doesn't turn it on himself it was just interesting. But that's pretty much Gene's arc for this episode. Gene had a really stressful season. He did. And good for him. I'm glad it ended, like, whatever version of a happy ending for him, at least for the season that you can get from 
having your, you know, girlfriend murdered and then being forced into submission by the guy who did the murdering. Yeah, I really yeah. love how they shot the last scene. We're getting that window action that they love. We're some window action. We're seeing it all through the window, but they have it framed really nicely with like Jim on one side and Jean on the other and Janice's framed picture in the foreground. And we just kind of like make peace with that situation. It's really nice. I have one fun factoid. Okay. So at the beginning, um, when we're in that dream sequence, and it's everybody that Barry's killed, and then you see Gene and Sally, Oof. and clearly he's like having that fear of like, oh no, my lifestyle's gonna catch up with them. Yeah. And for Sally it does. But apparently they wanted a kind of like a nightmare moment in there where fire flashes across Sally's eyes. And then they watched someone in the writer's room. I don't know if it was, you know, Hater or someone else watched Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, Mike Flanagan loves that effect and has used it again and again. Yeah. And most recently used it in Midnight Mass. So they were like, oh, we don't want to do that, you know, again. But they almost did that effect. I think it was a really cool effect. I will say when it showed up again, like in Midnight Mass, I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> well, it's spooky, but. To be fair, like you watch all of his stuff. If yeah. someone was just watching Midnight Mass, they'd be like, that's cool. You know? It's a cool, scary, unexpected effect. Yeah. Unless you are a Flanistan and you watch all of his stuff, in which a case it's no longer surprising. Flanistan! <laughs> that's what we're called. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, he calls his fans Flana Fam. Um, okay. But the fans call themselves Flana's Dams. Ooh, amazing. do you think he watches Barry? I don't know. I, I do wonder what he watches, actually. You know, I'm really glad that they didn't do that because I think it's heavy enough to just see Gene and Sally there because it tells us, like, yeah. okay, it tells us a couple of things. It tells us. One, that this is not actually taking place in a spiritual realm, that we are in Barry's head, because Gene and Sally wouldn't be there otherwise. And two, it tells us that, like, Barry's, like, deepest fear at this point is him harming Gene and Sally, which we kind of knew from him, like, hallucinating them being shot before. But And isn't it gratifying that by the end of this episode... Neither of his fears have come true. A different, potentially worse fear for each has come true. Yeah. And that Gina's betrayed him and Sally has killed somebody. Like his like. And left know. him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She gone. I do wonder. So like listeners will know I have not watched season four yet. I do wonder like if this murder comes back to haunt Sally. If she fesses up to the murder. I'm really curious to see where that goes. No spoilers, please. I will not say anything. (laughs) Great. So one thing that's interesting to me is that they chose, I really think this is very clever, that they chose to have Sally, Sally's murder of Shane Taylor take place in the recording room that's silent. When he goes in there and she comes in after him with the bat, the door closes and we don't hear any of that until Barry regains consciousness and goes into the room to get Sally. So like all of her like rage and anger and like her, you know, beating him is silent. I just thought that was an interesting choice. I wonder what's behind that. That's so I had I I noticed that that happened but I hadn't like keyed into it really. Well, in one way, it's very it's a very different way to sort of look at a killing that is very active and brutal and violent to just like take the audio out of the equation and just like watch it. But also too, we don't see Shane. We only see Sally. So we're really very focused in on Sally. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, that's true. It's very cool. I really like that they did that. I feel like that recording studio has been a little bit of a uh, Chekhov's gun this season. A Chekhov's recording studio. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one of the things I wondered about was 
So when Hank disarms the guard and then like shoots through the wall at the panther and he just like goes bananas, just like, I was like, save some ammo, dude. But just like lights up the fucking panther through the wall and then we hear the panther dying. But then he comes out in the hall and goes down the hall and Elena's there. And I'm like, did she not hear all of the gunfire? <laughs> like, it's literally right down the hall. And Is that, like, so par for the course that it just, like, doesn't bother her anymore? Yeah, I don't know. Like, a guy... How much f- gunfire would you have to endure that that could happen just down the hall from you? And you wouldn't be like, someone get out? Right. Like, a guy threw up, like, where, where are all the people? Like, I don't know what happened. So that was a little, like, mm, I don't know about this. Yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah. I also love, I wrote <laughs> the Rose family portrait on the wall. So (laughs) it just reminded me of the one from Schitt's Creek because it's like the whole family standing there like looking sort of grim. (laughs) I want to know who in Hollywood is the who paints those. Is that the art department? Do they have to like contract with somebody? Is there like a TV portraits company? I don't know. My other note is when Albert goes to see Barry. Okay. I don't know how he knows where Barry is. Uh, because if he knows about that place, then he must know about, like, all the bodies that are buried there. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, Albert interrupts him while he's burying Shane Taylor. And Barry, like, puts together, like, Albert Albert knows. Albert knows about Barry. Like, yep. he knows that he kills people. He knows that he killed Chris, um, which Albert seems really stuck on. And he, you know, is just like, why did you kill Chris? Like, and he, Barry, like, breaks down. And it really does kind of show us that, like, Barry is not in control of the situation at all. He's been manipulated. He's been taken advantage of. He's just not in control of the situation. And I think Albert, like, recognizes that. And... You know, he says, like, I have a daughter, she's eight, and she wouldn't be here if you hadn't saved my life. Um, And I think for that reason, like, he's sort of willing to give Barry a second chance. Um, But he's like, you know, this has to stop starting now. Which I think it was an interesting choice to have another character say the thing that Barry's always saying. I like the symmetry, of course. And I think that in Albert's mind... This is Barry's first confrontation with whether or not he should be continuing this way of life, you know? So it's interesting to me that Barry has already been down this road and has backslid and backslid for two additional seasons now. You know what I mean? He's digging himself deeper. Barry is a... He's not going to change in this way. And really... So I I, want to quote an article. It was an interview that that, uh, Hater did with The Rap. Where he says, Albert forgives him, which is what he wanted all season. He wants the forgiveness. But then I'm paraphrasing here. When it arrives, it's not what he thought he wanted. And Mm -hmm. what Hater said was, um, if you hadn't tried to save me, my daughter would have been born. I wouldn't have a kid. I wouldn't have had the greatest thing in my life. And for that, it's almost harder for Barry to hear to be forgiven. It's not the weight off of him that he thought it would be. He's given back his humanity in a way. And I just thought like, oh, yeah, that's... It's almost like he's burdening Barry with this, like, yeah. it's it's no longer like start, like you can start fresh. It's like, here, try again to start fresh. And it's like a whole, you know, I, I feel like he probably would have rather been arrested or I don't know, <laughs> been killed. I'm not sure. Yeah. It is interesting to me that I understand he has history with Barry and I understand Barry like saved his life ish. I mean, somebody else could have slapped, like, a quick clock pack on his face or something and, um, you know, shot a civilian. But, okay, <laughs> let's just, for the sake of argument, say Barry saved his life. I just don't get, I mean, he's an FBI agent. He was in the military and now he works for the FBI. But he's so ready to just, like, let Barry go because he says, like, okay, no more killing people now. I didn't buy it. Yeah, it's and just... Honestly, this season, Albert has been, like, one of the most confounding characters. Agreed. Not 
not just the way he acts, but like when he shows up, why he's is where he is. And I really am so curious what was originally filmed and what made it yeah. into the cut. I agree. Um, we've talked I about- like the character it's so compelling to see like this thing that prompted all of this journey kind of come back in the end and they're like also it's interesting to see their different paths from that incident you know where Albert has gone you know he's the lawman and Barry is the outlaw Albert had a family Barry doesn't have anyone like but I think that's his I think that's yeah. why this bugs me so much is because if we're saying like Albert took a better path and Barry took a worse path. We're now seeing Albert be like, okay, but just promise you won't do it again. I'll just, like, let you go. Exactly. I think that we also already had this kind of parallel thing with Chris and him. Yes. And then he killed Chris already. Yeah. I just don't understand Albert's motivation. And, like, I don't have a kid, so I don't have this experience. And I also don't have a friend who, like, murders a bunch of people who <laughs> that you know of save my life. <laughs> Yeah, please don't tell me if you did. It's going to be. Um, but I just I just can't imagine being like, my kid is so precious to me. And if, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have them. Well, you don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I just, it's weird. Yeah, Albert's a real weak point for me for this entire season. It was interesting because, like, in prepping for this episode, I read an article where they said, like, Season three, I think it was Rolling Stone, where they were like, season three is the strongest season. And I was like, I disagree. I enjoyed this season a lot. This finale was great. I remember the first time watching it, I was like jaw on the floor when Barry gets caught. Like, it's amazing. But when we're really like breaking down the writing of it and the beats of it and like everything that's happening, there's a lot of questions and it doesn't seem as well fit together as the first two seasons yeah in this season some of the pieces feel a little jammed together or it feels like there's tiny gaps and not in in that like masterfully intentional way that we always get which makes me wonder why like and what wound up on the cutting room floor and like i'm just i'm just so curious especially because this was the season that they wrote and then went back and rewrote after having written season four so it's like did stuff change substantially like yeah i just yeah i think it did it's still again still so beautiful so many setups payoffs like yeah still so poetic in so many ways and the, i mean the cinematography look when 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 like rolling stone says best season so far or whatever it was i'm like okay yeah like they're pushing themselves mm-hmm. in terms of like stunts and cinematography and like for sure experimenting but the the story <laughs> you know what i mean like the story. Yeah, I know. Still um, overall a great season though. It was a great way to end it. It really does like leave some cliffhangers like we don't know what's going to happen with Sally now. Is she just out of the picture? You know, off in Missouri? Is Gene just like washing his hands of everything and he's going to go back to normal? I can't see how. I mean, the we know like the true crime media machine that surrounds yep. the stuff is it's extremely popular now so i can just see like gene getting caught up in all of that yeah i just it's going to be really interesting to me to see what happens to everybody next season you can totally see gene starting his own podcast like and only murders in the building but like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, who would he he podcast with uh i still think martin short and uh and steve martin (laughs) Uh, not Joe Montana slash Mantania. <laughs> Maybe Joe Mantania. Maybe <laughs> Annie. I don't know. Body count for this episode is like grim. So Shane Taylor. Yes. Shane Taylor, Akmal Yandar. Akmal and Yandar. R.I.P. Those know, poor guys. Since the beginning. Yeah. They were eaten by a fucking panther. They're like oh, the panther. Oh, geez. Oh, the panther. Yes. Um, I wrote tiger because I thought it was a tiger at the time. Tiger. <laughs> Elena, R.A.P. gay dancer. Yeah. And I wrote et cetera Bolivians. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So quite a um, quite a gruesome season ender. Um, that panther did no harm. He was just living his best panther life. 
I mean, you now he's skateboarding in heaven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will leave you with the wisdom of Chief Krause. I haven't seen him since he stormed out of here and cocked his gun in front of us. He's probably out there seeing the sights. 